you have your Bibles, you can open them to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We learned last week that God had dramatically delivered the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians through the Red Sea. He destroyed their enemy and he freed them once and for all from bondage and from an enemy that appeared to be stronger than they. And they were delivered safely on the other side. And after seeing the great work that the Lord had done, we see in uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, it says, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then the next, uh, probably, I don't know, 21 verses, chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, we see that it's a song of praise because who knows that when God does a good work and everything he does is a good work, he deserves to be praised. The overflow of our gratefulness for his goodness should be praise. And we see that in verses 1 through 21. And we're not going to focus on those verses tonight. I gave you my word that I would uh, uh, cover at least one chapter a week, and I can't get through all of those verses and the ones I'd like to focus on tonight. And so just take, take your time sometime this week and read through those verses and see them just as a celebration of praise for all that God had done for them. God had delivered them powerfully, and, and the result in their hearts was an eruption of praise. And that's what we see recorded here for us. Uh, I want to remind you as you flip, uh, hold your finger in Exodus 15, but flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I know I've already read this passage to you, just, uh, but I'd like to read it to you just once again because I want to remind you of something. I want to keep this on the forefront of your mind, uh, verses 1 through 11 in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they all drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And this is what I want you to see. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Skipping down to verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples for us. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. I want you to remember and keep in mind as we study this passage tonight in Exodus 15 and in the, in the ongoing weeks, I want you to always keep in the forefront of your mind that God said that these things happened and were recorded for our benefit. They were recorded as a warning to us that we would not make the same mistakes that they made. This word is full of, of good direction and good insight. That's why we should be living in this word. We should be studying this word because it's a roadmap for our lives. 
And God is saying, I've recorded the book of Exodus for you as a warning so that you would not make the same mistakes. I've put in writing the mistakes that they made so that you would not make those same mistakes. And so we're going to begin tonight in verse 22 and read through verse 27. But would you just pray with me before we begin? Father, I pray that you would be big in this place tonight, Lord, that you would magnify your name here. Lord, I'm limited, but you're limitless. And so, Father, I thank you that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within me. And I pray, Father, that you would just take over my mouth and that you would speak your word to your people tonight. Bring revelation, bring understanding, bring insight and wisdom. Lord, help me to clearly and effectively elaborate the scripture tonight. Pierce our hearts with truth. Open up our minds to your word. Give us hearts that are eager and ready to hear and to listen and to obey. Have your way in this place tonight, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they were three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. That's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer there. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. So look at verse 22. It says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. That word brought there means to lead. In fact, some of your translations will say lead. I like that better because the word actually means he caused them to journey. I I don't want you to miss that. The Lord led them there. Uh, the, The cloud that was leading them by day and the fire by night led them to this water that was bitter. It was the cloud, not Moses. And can I just say that our whole perspective on our life and our bitter circumstances would change a whole lot if we just realized that the Lord was sovereign over all, that he leads us, that he guides us, that he directs us. Even Jesus himself, the word says that he was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. I think we have this uh, 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 messed up idea that somehow when we come to Christ that our life will be peachy keen, honky dory, and that everything will be perfect. Can I just tell you, the only thing that changes is that the power of God is living in us, that we're under his lordship, that we're under his leading. 
The word says that the Lord, that the Moses brought Israel out from the, the Red Sea and into the wilderness of Shur. Moses did it, but it was because the cloud was leading him. God was leading them. That word wilderness there is an uninhabited plain country. Uh, commentators say it would have been a rough terrain, that there was jagged mountains that were running parallel to the coast for about 12 miles. It was desert. And do I need to tell you what a desert looks like? It's hot. It's, it's arid. It, it, is, it is desolate. And, and it was without comforts. I, I'm just going to tell you that. And it's surrounded by these mountains. And, and, and they're journeying through that. And they're walking. They're not driving in a car. And, and can you just imagine how hot it must have been? Commentators say it would have been a very challenging area to maneuver, but I want you to remember that as hard as it might have been to journey through that, that territory, it, they were not there by mistake, that God was leading them. And can I just tell you that sometimes God leads us through the wilderness. Sometimes he takes us directly through it because he has something he wants to teach us in it. Oh, we like to avoid the wilderness where we like to live in a place of comfort where everything is peachy keen, hunky-dory. But can I just tell you the things that I have learned most about God, I've learned in the wilderness, in the desert experience. Sure, was a desert climate where water and vegetation would have been sparse. And, and even though they brought supplies out of, uh, of Egypt with them, that their supplies would have been lacking by now. And, and the Bible says in verse 22 that they went three days in that wilderness and they found no water. They were looking for water. Read that again. Three days in a desert, in a hot climate, without any water. Walking navigating that terrain without any water. They, they were looking for water. They were looking for refreshment because verse 22 says they found none. They were looking for it. I, I wonder if you're here tonight and you're looking for refreshment. You're looking, uh, you're looking for just a break. You're looking for something to quench the thirst inside of you. They were looking for refreshment, but they found none. And when they didn't find the relief they were searching for, they grumbled against God. They were out in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. They, they were in a desert and there was no water. And I think at first that they probably, uh, they were trusting God. Remember, they had seen what he did in the Red Sea. They had seen his power on display. They had, they had seen what victory really looked like and how powerful their God was. And so I bet on the first day of finding no water, they, they, their faith was not faltering. I, I bet that they were still riding high off that victory. They had seen God bring them through. And, but then the second day, they started to think, oh, Lord, do you really care about us? Are you really working on our behalf? And where are you, God? And by the third day, I think they were questioning their goodness. Isn't it interesting how quickly we can move from a time of praise and singing God's praises? And isn't he good? And look how faithful he is to God. Do you even care about me? Are you even there? Do you even want to meet my basic needs. Notice they weren't looking for, for a mansion. They weren't looking for any other comfort. They were looking for a basic need, just water. 
Their, 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 their question was not outrageous. Their, their desire was not, was not beyond the norm. They were just looking for a basic need. I wonder if there's anybody here that's ever thought, God, don't you even care about my basic needs? Don't you even care about my needs? Where are you, God, and why aren't you working in my life? And I think by day three, when they were looking for water and they found none, I think they began to question God. Remember, these things were written to us as examples so we could learn from their mistakes. But I I just wonder if you've ever been in that place where you were thirsting and you were looking for something to satisfy you. You were searching for that thing that would finally quench your need and you get to a bitter situation in your life. And do you do what the Israelites did and grumble? Complain against God. I, I want you to remember that Moses knew this desert. You say, well, Rhea, how could he possibly know this? Do we have the maps, Dave? Did, did you get those on the screen? Can we, bring the, can we bring one up, please? I have several maps. This one is the one I don't agree with, but we'll, but we'll talk about it tonight. Uh, uh, you know, we, we talked several weeks ago, or yes, last week, when we talked about crossing the Red Sea and how some people think, do you see Pihathiroth uh, up by number three? Some people think that's where the Israelites crossed. And then they went down into, see, Mara and Elim, Elim there. And then the Sinai wilderness and Mount Sinai. And, and then they go up and they get into the promised land. Some people think that that is the correct map. Give me the next one, Dave. I believe this is. I believe that they crossed the the Red Sea over here. See, Pihathiroth is there. And the reason there's so much discrepancy is because there aren't any maps from that time. And so they're just now really getting to a place where they're finding more out about this area and what it would have looked like in Moses' time. But what we do know is that Moses, if you'll recall, when he took off, when he had had killed one of his... his, his, uh, the Egyptians, and, and he buried them. And the next day, the, the Hebrews were questioning him. And then he took off because Pharaoh found out about it. And he fled. And he went to Jethro's house. Do you see on this bottom corner here where it says Jethro's home in Midian. He fled to Midian. And so that's why we know that Moses would have been familiar with all of this area. He would have understood that desert. Because if you look at, I think it's Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says that Moses was on the backside of the desert right by Mount Sinai. Do you see Mount Sinai there? And so Moses would have, or would have understood what this desert was like. He would have known that to get to the promised land, which is way up on top there, that this was really not taking the shortcut. This was really uh, going much further out of their way than they needed to. In his mind, I'm sure he was questioning God, thinking, hello, do you know what you're doing? Uh, there is a shorter cut to, to the promised land. If you really want them to get there, Lord, why in the world are you taking them so far out of their way? Yeah, I'm sure that Moses would have thought that because he's familiar with that desert. But he also knew that he could trust the cloud that was leading them. But so, so can you imagine as they're getting into this, this area, Moses is probably thinking, Lord, three days without any water. I know this desert. I know the oases are not very plentiful here. And I have two million people. Uh, commentators, most commentators say there would have been two million people with him. At the very least, 600,000. 600,000, I think, 2 million people 
without water for three days. How many days can you go without water? Three days. So God has taken them right up to the last minute. And so can you imagine Moses? I bet they're looking everywhere they go thinking, Lord, where is the oasis? We need water. We're out of water. Our animals are out of water. What are we going to do? And they're getting more and more desperate. I wonder if there's anybody desperate in this place tonight. Lord, I need you to show up or I don't know what we're going to do. And remember that cloud is leading them. Hello, cloud. Let's get to some water. And then suddenly the cloud stops and I bet everybody's cheering. I can't even imagine what they must have been thinking. Finally, he leads us to some water. Finally, we're going to get some relief. How many of you need relief tonight? And God doesn't seem to be in a big hurry to give it to you. Your circumstances are bitter. Your circumstances are hard. And you're thinking, God, where are you? And why aren't you working on my behalf? You just did a Red Sea miracle. Now, why aren't you working for this need I have? So the cloud stops. Can can you just imagine two million people trucking, seeing the oasis, seeing the water there? I bet they're cheering. I bet they're all excited. I bet they've forgotten the grumbling and the complaining, and they are bolting to that water. Can you imagine scooping up that water and going to drink it only to discover it's what? Bitter. They named it Mara. The word Mara means bitter. You'll remember Ruth and Naomi. In the book of Ruth, Naomi, uh, she went through some bitter circumstances. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. It it was just that she, she had to go through all kinds of famine. Her life was hard. Anybody here have a hard life? And Naomi, she heads back home to her hometown. She had been living someplace else, and she's journeying back home to her hometown after many years of being away. And the people see her from a distance, and they say, hey, there's Naomi. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Lord has made my life bitter. He took me out full, and he's bringing me back empty. She said, the Lord, and she uses the word El Shaddai. I always chuckle when I see that. Do you know what El Shaddai means? It means the double-breasted one, the almighty, the all-sufficient one, the one who has everything I need. And he, he took me out full and he brought me back empty. Just call me Mara. Isn't it interesting how we call him the all-sufficient one, but then we're bitter because he doesn't do things the way we want him to do them. That's the word that they use here, Mara. They they said that they came to Mara where they could not drink the waters for they were bitter. The word Mara means bitterness. And what happens when it looks like God had been faithful? They're looking at this water and they're thinking, yes, he came through for us. Look how faithful he is. He led us to this water only to discover that the water wasn't what they really were craving, what they were desiring. It was bitter. And they did what we do when God doesn't come through in the way we think he should. They grumbled. Tony Evans has an interesting view of this. He says they have a water, a water problem with no visible solution. And I love that. They have a water problem with no visible solution. They're faced with a water problem with no visible solution. But isn't it interesting that just three days prior, they were faced with a water problem with no visible solution. They were standing in front of a Red Sea with enemies on their tails with no way out. And their God came through for them. 
They stood in front of that water problem with no visible solution and God lifted it up and they crossed over on dry land. And now three days later, just three days, they're faced with another water problem. It's not ironic. It's just the way God works. And I want them to say, hey, look at what he did with the Red Sea. This is bitter water. There's no enemies on our tail. He can do this. Hey, God, what you did in the Red Sea, could you, just, could you fix this water for us so we can drink? The cloud stopped. You must want us to drink from this water. But they didn't. What did they do instead? They grumbled against Moses, therefore against God. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't take long to forget what God can do, because it doesn't take long to forget what God has done. The water that God expected them to drink from was bitter. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight saying, Lord, the, the Lord has led me to this place in my life, and the waters he's expecting me to drink from are bitter, Rhea. It's not fair. He's not there. He doesn't care about my needs. What do you do when the place in life that God leads you to is full of bitterness? When life doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to, those Israelites came to that water and they were seeking relief and it was bitter. What do you do when you're seeking relief and you just get one bitter circumstance after another? I would be tempted to say you do what the Israelites do and you grumble and complain. I want you to remember that the cloud was leading them. That tells me that these bitter waters were part of God's will for their life. It's important that you realize that because it'll help you with your own bitter waters. It's interesting, just a side note, that the word Mara, it means bitter, but it can also mean discontented. Oh, I could park there and preach all night long on that one because I, I just wonder how much of our bitterness comes from, from us being discontented. You see, we're discontent when we say, God, my life didn't turn out the way I thought it should. I dreamed it would. I, I thought you told me it would. How much of our bitterness results from us being discontent with the situation that God put us in? Lord, that wasn't my idea of the man I would be married to. Lord, that wasn't my idea of the woman of my dreams. Lord, that wasn't my idea of the job I thought was perfect. Lord, that wasn't my idea of what I thought my children would turn out to be like. Lord, it wasn't my idea. You gave me bitter water and I was looking for relief. And now I'm just surrounded by bitterness. What do you do when the water you're drinking from is bitter? They were just looking for something to satisfy and quench their thirst, but it was only bitter disappointment. It seemed like a cruel joke waiting for provision, for the provision of the Lord, and then it's bitter. What else, Lord, I bet they thought? You've led us out here. We trusted you to lead us. And now all we have is bitter water. They had their hearts set on something. And God gave them something different. And what do you do with that? What do you do when you have your heart set on something and God gives you something different? What do you do? Do you grumble and do you complain or do you trust God? Here, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I really want to talk to you about grumbling and complaining, but I, I just felt I can't wait to get there. So I just want to, I just want to tell you this because you see, sometimes God knows more than we do. Sometimes. 
all the time. God knows more than we do. The wisdom of God is why the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. Do you know that the foolishness of God is wiser than my wisdom? And my ways are not his ways, and his ways are not mine, but his are so much higher than mine. You see, all along, the reason the cloud stopped is that God knew something those Israelites did not know. Do you know what? That, that water, the reason it was so bitter was because it was filled with magnesium and potassium. It was filled with minerals, minerals that they needed coming out of Egypt. Do you know that the Egypt, Egyptian canals that, that the Israelites would have been drinking from were full of parasites and amoebas and, and, and disease? Their dysentery was a common thing in Egypt for these slaves. And see, God knew what they didn't know. He knew that that bitter water that he was asking them to drink from was the very thing that was going to bring healing and wholeness. It was what they needed to get to the next level of freedom and liberty in him. That is so good. And so he had them drink, and then they didn't want what he gave them to drink. So often we fight against the bitter things in our life, and yet those bitter things, they purge us. You see, the, the water, that magnesium and that potassium would have had a, a laxative effect for, for the Israelites. And as they drank of it, it would have resulted in cleansing their body of those parasites and those amoebas. And they drank, and instead of saying, God, we trust you, that if you're asking me to drink of this bitter water, that you've got a purpose and a plan that I can't understand right now, but Lord, if the cloud stopped, I'm going to drink. And instead, they grumbled, and they complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? They turned on Moses and blamed him, but it wasn't his doing. It was the clouds leading Psalm 106 gives us some really good insight here. It says that the Israelites forgot his works and did not wait for his counsel. Because they were in crisis and things didn't turn out the way they thought they should, they went from singing his praises to questioning his goodness and grumbling against him. They had seen this great deliverance. They had witness God's power, that they were under his protective watch. And then life begins to get challenging and, and little things that arise and they're prodding along and instead of praising, they start complaining. They thought God would shield them. <laughs> and when it appeared that he wasn't, they questioned his goodness. The word grumble there means to complain, to murmur, to grumble. It describes the repeated behavior of the Israelites every time they encountered hard times. Does it describe the repeated behavior of you every time you encounter a hard time? It's interesting how trials and the bitter stuff in life can cause what's inside of us to be manifested. That grumbling was manifested in the midst of, of that. They thought and expected that God would shield them from disappointments and trials. And when, they did not, when he did not, they grumbled. Three days prior, they were singing his praises. And now three days later, they're questioning his faithfulness. Remember, these things were written for you and I as examples. They were recorded so we could learn from their mistakes. 
Grumbling arises from inner discontent. It's an attitude of not being satisfied with what God has given you and the situations you find yourself in. It's interesting to me that the word grumbling, and hear this, if you miss everything else I say tonight, the word grumbling also means to lodge, to stop over, to pass the night. It means to abide, to remain, to dwell. Oh, you see, that's what usually happens when we taste of the bitter waters of life. We start to grumble and complain, and we end up dwelling there, and we never seem to move on. I had this hard life, and I got messed over, and God didn't provide for me. He didn't shield me the way I wanted him to, and then I start to grumble and complain, and that thing gets deep-seated in me. It starts to dwell in me. It starts to abide in me, and then it starts to flow out in every situation I'm in, and then I find myself 30 years later still saying to Masha, can you even believe my bitter life that I had? Can you even believe what God allowed in my life? And I'm so bitter about it. And it starts to infuse in every situation I have because that's what bitterness does. Bitterness is a poison and it gets rooted. That's why we're told, don't let any root of bitterness grow up within you because it will grow up and defile many. It will poison everything in your life. It will stop overnight and lodge in you. When we grumble and complain like the Israelites, that they wanted somebody to blame, and so do we. And, and we get to a point where we're so interested in, in, in blaming somebody and grumbling and complaining that we can't shake it, and it begins to consume our life. What's interesting to me is it wasn't God's fault, it wasn't Moses' fault. It was really the real problem was not the bitter water they were faced with or lack of water at all. It was their lack of spiritual awareness. It was the root of their problem was not leaning on, not relying in, not trusting upon God's provision. So Moses did what they should have been doing all along. And verse 25 says he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. You say, that's ridiculous, Rhea. How would a tree make the water sweet? Well, lots of commentators try to come up with a theory why that tree, maybe it was the sap, maybe it floated to the bottom. They, they come up with all these ideas of why a tree would, have, would affect waters that are bitter and make them sweet. I'm not going to even try to, to, to discern that. What I, what I want you to see is that God showed Moses a tree and told him to throw it into the waters. And even when it didn't make sense, Moses did it. You see, sometimes God tells us to do what doesn't make sense in our bitter circumstances, and if we obey it, it will sweeten up our waters. Do you, do you see that? Moses did it even when it didn't make sense. I, I want you to know that that, that that wood there symbolizes the cross. Remember, everything in Exodus was pointing to what Jesus would do as our deliverance. Throwing that, that tree into the bitter waters is, a, is symbolic of the cross. And a cross is not just a symbol of our deliverance, it's the symbol of a yielded will. Hear me. It's a symbol of a yielded will. It's yielding to God. I just want to tell you, when Jesus was in the, 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 the garden, he was sweating drops of blood. He was saying, Lord, if there's any way you can take this cross from me. If there's any way you can take this cup from me, just please, will you do it? People say Jesus was like, yay, I get to go to the cross. I can't wait. I don't think that was the case at all. 
I think he was saying, God, if there's another way. But then he said, nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. It was in the end, it came to his yielded will where he said, God, not my will, but yours be done. And you see, that is the secret to our bitter waters coming to a place where God says, I want you to drink of this. And you say, but God, no. And you start to grumble and you complain. And then you realize, God, if you're, if the cloud has stopped here, there must be a reason you've asked me to drink of this bitter water and I'm going to yield my will to it. As hard as it is, as painful as it might be, as yucky as these circumstances are, Lord, I am going to throw the cross in and I'm going to yield my will in the midst of it. You see, that is the secret. I'm telling you, I'm learning this. I believe this with all of my heart. The secret to bitter life problems is a a yielded will to God's way. That's the secret to sweetness in life. It's the secret to being free from bitterness. God knows what's best. The wisdom of God. So verse 25 says, well, 25 says, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he cast it in the waters and the waters were made sweet and there He made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. You need to know that that word statute there, oh, it's so good. It means prescription. He wrote the doctor, I am the Lord, your healer. I am the doctor. The doctor's in the house, and I'm going to write you a prescription for your bitter life circumstance, and here it is. He said he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, and that word test means training. It means to put their faith to the proof. Training. Can I just tell you, the wilderness, the bitter circumstances in life is where I received my best training. It's where you really understand who he is, where he shows you a a glimpse of himself you've never seen before. You see, it was at those bitter waters that God revealed himself to them as the Lord, their healer. You see, it's when we face bitter circumstances that we begin to see God like we've never seen him before. He reveals himself to us in a way we never dreamed possible. You can't get that in comfort. You can't get that when life is peachy keen, honky-dory. He said he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and he tested them, and he said, and get this, if, it's an if, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and you do what's right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. A statute and an ordinance. James Buckner says, the Lord established a fixed principle of relationship between them. A guiding principle or a standing prescription, if you will. It was a law that God was establishing even for himself. He was saying, if you do this, then I will do this. This will automatically happen. Notice he says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight. You see, it wasn't just hearing the word of the Lord. It was choosing to obey it, to do it. You see, we we come to church and we hear it, but do we do it? We read the word of God and we hear it, but do we do it? And God wasn't going to force them. He left freedom to choose in this relationship and in ours. Listen to what the Amplified says. If you will diligently listen and pay attention to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight 
and listen to his commandments and keep foremost in your thoughts and actively obey all his precepts and statutes. Then I will not put on you any of the diseases which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. We use that scripture a lot. I use that scripture a lot to say, you know what, Steph, you got a need, you got a sickness. I just want to pray Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer, to just bring healing in your life right now. I, I am the one that's the most guilty of that. But I'm telling you right now, you have got to keep the word of God in context. What is the context of the Lord, your healer? Somebody tell me. Obeying his precepts, his commandments. You say, well, Rhea, I'm saved by grace. Yes, you are. And yes, the Israelites were delivered through that Red Sea, but they were going to spend an awful lot of time in that wilderness. You see, I don't believe for one second that the promised land is heaven. I told you everything is symbolic in these stories, but I don't believe that the promised land is heaven. I don't believe Canaan is a picture of heaven. I believe, because you see, we get to heaven because of the finished work of Christ, because of grace. But I believe Canaan, or the promised land, is a picture of living life in the power of the Spirit, of walking in victory and not defeat, of living an overcoming life and living in the blessing of obedience. You see, you can determine whether or not you want that in your life if you want. If all you're interested in is fire insurance to get to heaven, you rock on with your bad self because you are saved by grace. Yes, hallelujah. But there is blessing that comes with obedience. There is healing in, in our life, in our bitter waters. You see, there are people who are saved, who are going to heaven banking. Oh, and uh, Rhea, it's grace. You preach, you preach works too much. You care too much about that. Well, you're bitter. I can see it all over your face. And it's because you have chosen to say it's all about grace, all about his love. And I don't ever have to obey his word. So you can die and go to heaven bitter, I don't care. And, and, and really not walking in victory, walking in defeat all the time. Walking pitiful instead of powerful. Walking as a victim instead of a victor. You can do that if you want to. You are exactly right. You're saved by grace. Hallelujah, we're saved by grace. But here God reveals himself at such a bigger level. He says, if you want to walk in wholeness with me as your healer, here is the secret to getting rid of your bitter life, to get bitter, rid of dealing with your bitter circumstances. Obey my word. That means that you throw a tree in the bitter water. That means you do something that looks absolutely ridiculous. You mean, Lord, you want me to forgive them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you, you made my life bitter. Look at how much pain they've caused me. Well, here's a command. Here's a precept for you to follow. And if you heed this, you're going to have wholeness like you've never had it before. But Lord, they don't deserve it. But you do. You do. I don't like bitter water. I like it to be sweet. Rhea, you mean to tell me when I do it God's way, I'll feel more whole? That word means to prosper. You mean I'm going to prosper? When I do the hard stuff, the stuff that doesn't make sense that he tells me to do in my bitter circumstance? Yep. That's how it works. And in that place, he will reveal himself as healer to you. 
And I don't just mean healing your disease, although I do believe a lot of disease. You can challenge me on this one. I don't care. Not all. A lot is caused by bitterness, anger, anxiety, fear, worry, torment, unforgiveness. You say, Rhea, sometimes we just get germs and we get sick. Yep, we do. Sometimes we just get old and we get sick. Yep, we do. But sometimes we harbor unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred and anger and it becomes a poison in us. And he says, here's the secret to that bitter life that you have. If you heed my word and you're diligent about doing it, even when it doesn't make sense, I'll heal that bitter circumstance. There was really nothing that changed except God changed it. Moses throwing that tree in didn't do anything. His obedience, that was just obedience. It was symbolic of, if you yield your will to me, and you do what I'm asking you to do in the bitter, hard circumstances of life, if you love well somebody who doesn't deserve to be loved well, you won't even be bitter about it anymore. What they did to you won't even matter anymore because I'll show you what it means to be healed by me regardless of what they did to you. I'm telling you, this is a secret. It's the secret things of God. I believe it with all of my heart. The Israelites' healing was going to be directly related to their ability to obey. There is protection in obedience. It's such a picture of what we see over and over throughout Exodus and in our own life. The struggle to obey, the tendency to question God's goodness when life gets hard and our comfort gets compromised. And the word says he tested them there. He trained them. He was going to use, the reason he was taking them so far out of their way is he was using that wilderness time to train them, to teach them that Canaan, the promised land, was really learning what it means to live a spirit-filled life, surrendered to the spirit, surrendering our will to his will, doing the hard stuff that he asked us to do, finding out that his pleasant path really does lead to pleasant places in our life. You know, I'm parking on that verse. I, I just can't even tell you how much that's gotten in my spirit. He, he says in the Psalms, he says, my pleasant path leads to pleasant places. You say, well, Rhea, when I open up the word of God, does he really expect me to do this? All I can tell you is that his pleasant path, the instruction manual that he's left for us, really does lead to pleasant places in our life. You say, well, Rhea, you don't know what's been done to me. You don't know how hard this person is to live with. All I can tell you is that his pleasant path leads to pleasant places. It's a promise. And if you do these things, he's put himself by law. He says, if you do them. This will be the result. I will show you myself as healer. You say, Maria, that's too much work for me. You get way overboard when it comes to this following the word of God thing. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 11. I want to close with this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Many of you have this scripture memorized, but it's a powerful word. I want to read it in the Amplified tonight. 
And from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault. What is the kingdom? Kingdom is the king's domain. It's the rule and reign of God in our life. The kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault, and the violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. I just need to tell you that the enemy does not want you to live under the rule and reign of God. He wants to challenge that at every turn. He doesn't want you and I walking in the fullness of the Spirit. He doesn't want us enjoying victory. My son Tyler says, if he can't keep you out of heaven, he'll make you live like hell here on earth. If he can't keep you out of hell, he'll make you live like hell here on earth. He'll challenge the rule and reign of God in your life. He knows you're saved by grace, but he does not want you understanding the promised land. He doesn't want you understanding what it really means to walk in the power of God. And so the Bible says that, that, that it's going to endure violent assault. The enemy is going to bring assaults against the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in your life. He's going to say, Leslie, you don't need to do that. Here's some bitter water. Drink of it. Get bitter. Get bitter. Don't obey God. Just you're saved by grace. Just drink of this bitter water, this hard circumstance. Just please have anxiety. I'm going to bring anxiety. I'm going to bring torment. I'm going to bring a lack of peace. And I'm going to keep you, while I can't keep you out of heaven, I'm going to make you live like hell here. And I'm going to assault the kingdom of God in your life. But you see, the rest of that scripture says, this is me. I'm violent about the word of God. And violent men seize it by force as if a precious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with the most ardent zeal and intense exertion. You see, we have to fight to possess all that is ours. We must see as, as a precious prize and seek it with intense exertion and deal. We cannot be passive about it. You see, that's what the Israelites are going to learn. In the weeks to come, you're going to see they're learning they cannot be passive about what God has promised. God promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. They were going to take possession of it, but they had to fight for it. You see, God has promised you. He's, he's made promises in his word. His, the Bible is full of God's promises to you. Do you understand it? These are promises. It, it, it's, they're promises given by a God who cannot lie. It's not even that he, he, he won't lie. If you're a good girl, maybe he won't lie to you. That, that's, not, that's not what it says. It says he cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. That truth is who he is. And so he can't lie. So if he says to you, I've made a covenant of peace with you, you can believe him. If he says, don't be anxious about anything, but through prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to me. And the God of peace is going to guard, garrison your heart and your mind with peace that passes on all understanding. If you have anxiety, dear one, you have received it. You, you've allowed it in your life because he has made a promise to you that if you're not, that you don't have to be anxious about anything. Just present your request to him through prayer, petition, and thanking him. Thanking him that he has you. And he's going to then whoosh, guard, garrison your heart and your mind with peace that passes all understanding. Many of you have heard my story about, about uh, Dave's oldest son and, and how he was, a, he was a mess. 
and just a mess. And, and all of, of, of the doctors and the, the hospital said, you know, this is hopeless. It's, it's not going to be good. It's not going to end well. And I was like, excuse me? I have a promise from God. And it says that my sons will be taught by the Lord and great will my children's peace be. It says that the offspring of the righteous will be blessed and they're mighty in the land. I happen to fit that category. And so I'm declaring over that boy that he will be taught by the Lord and great is his peace going to be. And the offspring of the righteous is blessed. That boy is going to be blessed and he's going to be mighty in the land. I don't care what I see in the natural. I got a promise from God. You see the violent take it by force. They don't stand back passive and say, well, it's kind of bitter here, and I don't like it, and maybe you could give me some clean water, Lord. The violent understand what is theirs, what Christ died so we could have. The violent are not satisfied just to be saved by grace. The violent want to possess everything that God has promised them, and I'm telling you, I am raising, it might be a small group, but I am raising a bunch of violent believers. Do you understand? Violent believers who take by force what God has promised, that it cost him his son's life so we could have. I'm not satisfied, and I'm not passive. And I'm not apologetic about it. There are people that will say, that girl is whacked. She is way overboard. I have to be really careful. I'm preaching at Dave's church this weekend. And I'm like, I got to tone it down a notch. I got to be conservative. I got to be laid back. I got to really be on my, my toes there. Eh, because I, but I'm just telling you, I'm not apologetic. I am who he says I am. And the violent take it by force. The violent don't apologize for who they are. Verse 27, this is the best part of the whole story. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped by the waters. <laughs> Can I just tell you, there are more Elams in your life than there are Maras. They drank from Mara. They camped at Elam. Elam was a place of refreshment. They tarried there. Notice that there are 12 Fresh water springs. How many tribes were there? Twelve. And 70 palm trees with dates. How many elders are there? I think it's in Numbers 11. How many elders were there? Seventy. <laughs> you just love God. I just love him. It's a picture of refreshment. They tarried there. They, they remained there. They got refreshed there. For every Mara you drink from, he will give you an Elam to refresh you, one that you can tarry at, times of refreshing. Can I just tell you that Israel had comfort at Elam? They had refreshment at Elam. But Charles Spurgeon summed it up, and I just loved it. He said, Israel had no miracle at Elam. Wells and palm trees they had, but they had no miracle there. No miraculous change of the bitter into the sweet. And they had no statute or ordinance, no promise, and no new revelation of God. No new name for God there. They had comfort. They had refreshment there. But they missed out on the new revelation of who God was. Oh, can I just tell you, I've had some wildernesses in my life. I've had more bitter waters more bitter life circumstances than I can even tell you. 
but the revelation I have about God nobody can take from me. You see, we get that by the bitter circumstances. We get that in the wilderness journey. That's where God shows us who he is. He reveals himself to us. And you see, I would much sooner have a, a life where I witness his miracles, I witness his power, I, I, I witness his new revelation. I would much sooner have that than have sweet water. I just would. And maybe that's not you, and that's okay. And then I pray Elam's for you. Here's what I'm learning about God. I prayed that I would be able to just say it the way I'm learning it because I told Dave today, I don't, I don't even think I can put words to it. It's so sweet. It's so, it's so precious to me what God is showing me. There's so much in my life I wish, I wish God would fix. I, I wish he'd sweeten. I wish I didn't have to endure. I really would like some Elam's. But here's what he's showing me. I really feel like I'm getting deep in my spirit. That his ways are always right. When he says, do this or don't do that, it's not because he's a dictator God trying to control our life. He's trying to spare us pain. He's trying to heal us and make us whole. He's trying to sweeten up our life and avoid a lot of bitter waters. And I feel like I'm having to drink from the same well over and over and over, the same bitter waters over and over and over because I'm not learning it as quickly as I should. And, but I'm finally at a place where I'm getting it. That even when I'm justified to not do what God is telling me to do, even when everybody else is doing what God is telling them not to do and it looks like they're prospering. <laughs> Even when the world says, do it this way and not God's way and it looks like they're getting ahead. That the only way to life is really doing it his way. That his pleasant path really and truly does lead to pleasant places. And even when life is hard and circumstances are bitter, if we say, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? How do you want me to react? How do you want me to respond? And he says, I want you to respond with love, with gentleness, with kindness, with self-control. And we do it that way. It like sweetens up the water immediately. Leah, am I lying? If I'm lying, I'm dying. Leah lives this. She understands this. Do you not? Yeah. Because like Moses, you want me to throw that tree in the water? That doesn't make sense. But he did it in obedience. And if when faced with bitter life circumstances, we yield our will to his, and we die to what we want or we think is right and we do it his way, all of a sudden, bam, even though the circumstances might not change, our perception of them does. And he sweetens it up and radically transforms our life. I would much sooner have that than Elam.
That's what the wilderness is all about for the Israelites. And we're about to see that in the weeks to come. They learn a lesson at every stop, a lesson about God. He reveals himself to, to them in a different way at every stop. And all along, you're like cheering for them, and you want them to say, when are you going to get this? When are you just going to do what he tells you to do? And then I hear myself, Rhea, when are you going to get this? When are you just going to do what he tells you to do and spare yourself a whole lot of pain? That's Exodus. Are you learning anything? Are you blessed? Yeah, yeah. So let me pray for you before we go. Father, I am so grateful for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Thank you that you are still that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, that you lead us, that you guide us, that you don't ever leave us or forsake us. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by you. You're directing our path, Lord God. And I pray this week that you would just continue to reveal yourself to each man and woman here. I pray for the scales to fall off people's eyes and that we would begin to see you like we've never seen you before. Thank you, Father, that you don't just fix our wilderness, that you go through it with us. You continue to show us more and more about yourself in the midst of it. We love you, Lord, and we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.